G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, I'm Jamie. And I'm Tom. Thanks so much for listening. Last year, this podcast was just an idea. And as we sit here now putting together our first episode, we couldn't have imagined the crazy journey this project would take us on. This investigation is playing out in real time, so besides a few things we're yet to confirm, you will know what we know. What we can tell you though, is the Kira McLaughlin story is far from over. There is far more to this tale than originally met the eye. All you need to do is Google Kira McLaughlin, and there is practically nothing. But that is about to change. There have been clear skies for too long. Someone has been hiding. Someone has been lying. But there's a storm coming. And they can't hide forever. This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and distressing content. Listener discretion is advised. On Thursday, the 17th of July, 2014, police were called to Beenham Valley Road, Woolvai, where Kira McLaughlin, a 27 year old mother of four, had suffered serious head injuries. Kira was taken by ambulance to Gympie Hospital, but was later transferred to the Gold Coast University Hospital by helicopter. Tragically, Kira was pronounced dead the following day. Several people have been interviewed by police. However, no one has been charged for her death. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit confused because when I was at the house, there was blood everywhere. You know, now that I'm reminded of it, it is an unsolved murder. And uh, I think a lot of people have uh, forgotten about it. And, It seems like there were a lot of people present, but no one knows what happened. When we turned up, it was literally the middle of the night. Might have been about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. It was, I remember it was freezing cold. We were searching the back of the property that was like two and a half acres all night. But I do do remember, um, you know, there were a number of people present at the house. The police couldn't get anyone to say who did it. Uh, You've got an unsolved murder, why wouldn't you have an inquest? I think we're going to have to talk to her mum. He was rather physical and we were trying to get her to leave him, but he's beaten her so badly, then waited a day to call the ambulance. A 610 Media production. This is Beenham Valley Road. The Kira McLaughlin story. It's April 12, a Friday night in Gympie. Jamie and I have just finished at the Gimpy Times, where we've spent the last half hour being interviewed by Josh Preston, one of their up-and-coming young journalists. We're now sitting in a pizza shop. There's graffiti on the walls and about three other people. I crack a Coke and order a meat lover's pizza. The Corellas are making a fucking racket in the trees outside, and we are constantly fighting the VX Commodores. Now, that's not even a joke. There is literally a procession of VX Commodores driving past. 
We're living that hashtag Gimby life. Josh had reached out to us earlier in the day. He wanted to know if we were keen to catch up to talk about our project. Besides a Courier Mail article earlier this month, our interview would be the first time Kira McLaughlin's name had been mentioned in public for years. Tom and I had a massive week. Every spare second had been dedicated to interviewing, recording or researching. We'd uncovered pieces of information that we felt were vital to the understanding of this case. We had been talking to serious players in the game and we kind of felt like we were back in the police. But before we go any further, we need you to understand how this narrative has developed. Because it's complicated and it's dark. It is a rabbit hole that we have gone down to make sure Kira's death is not forgotten. That may sound a bit cliche, but the reality is someone killed this woman, and we believe we know who. It all started with a text from Alison, Kira's mum. Hey, Tom. Hey, mate. How you going? Yeah, not bad, mate. Oh, I guess he just texted me. Who? Alison. No way. Nah, mate. Like... Where? When? Just now, mate. Like, I'm literally sitting in a pub in Hunter Valley, and yeah, I get a text back from Alison just saying, Yep, hey Jamie, I want, I want to talk. Send me your number. All right, send me a text, and I'll send you my number. Um, anyway, so I've just been just been texting her, and she's keen as, but she wants us to talk to her lawyer first, man. Um, Peter Boyce, do you know him? I've heard the name, mate. Um, yeah, I've heard the name. I don't. Don't know him personally. Um, oh, shit. So has, has she given us like his contact details or anything? Like how serious is she? Do you reckon? Oh mate, she's literally saying, can you can you talk to him now? She said that by me asking her to come forward and talk to me after nearly five years has stirred up so many emotions, and she's. She's got a whole body churning, she said. She said, I can't hold on much longer. You need you need to talk to uh, Peter Boyce now. And she said, just send him an email if you can. But, like, mate, I'm seriously sitting in this Hunter Valley pub with the bridal party that, <laughs> from the wedding. So, do you reckon you could send the email for us? Yeah, mate. Um, just shoot me the address and I'll do it now. I'm, uh, I'm actually in front of my laptop at the moment, so I'll just flick it across. Man, it, it took her, like, what? five or six days or something to get back to you, so... No, like, I think it was nearly, like, ten days, I think. Yeah, okay, shit. But if if we send an email um, to that, to her lawyer, um, she's happy to talk once he's happy, so I don't know anything more than that, but she does have a few questions for me. She's asking, you know, why why is it taking so long for us to, to reach out and all that sort of stuff, but, mate, it's pretty hectic. Mate, that is hectic. Um, if you just flick me the address, I'll send it straight away. I'll copy you a bit on the, um, on the email. Is there anything you want me to say or no. just happy to me to do it up? Yeah, just, you just do it up, just saying what our intentions are. And, um, oh, mate, I'm flying from Newcastle back home uh, this Arvo, so I'll be able to give you a call then, eh? Yeah, OK. All right, mate. Well, you flick it through and I'll send it straight away then. OK, cool, buddy. A week later, we are pulling into the driveway of Allison's house. It's a large Queenslander on a nice bit of land. It has a block base with an open carport, and the house itself sits on top. There are fruit trees all around it, and behind the carport is a garden Allison has created to honour Kira's memory. As we roll up to the house, we are greeted by her dog, Reggie. Hello, Reggie. Hello. Hello. 
This is How Reggie, Reggie? Alison's dog. Hey? He's a chihuahua. Hey, Alison. A cross. But he thinks he's a rottweiler. He right? is literally the fittest dog ever. He runs around like a madman and barks at everything. He is tan and has a wiry coat. Reggie is one of the few constant companions in Alison's life and goes oh, everywhere right. with her. That's all good. Alison looks like she sounds. She has kind, dark eyes, dark hair, and a warm smile. Hey, Reggie. She looks like Kira's mum. Tom and I are aware that by How talking to her, we are asking her to relive part of her life that still hurts like hell. But despite all that, she welcomes us back to her house, like her own grandkids. So we're a bit later than we yeah. thought we'd be. As I said, you'll know when I start to wilt. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you can just tell us to leave. Instead of duct tape, we build a drill. A drill? <laughs> and, and duct tape. Yeah, that's right. Duct tape. But just to clarify, Alison asked us to bring some duct tape to fix her portable air conditioner. Nothing sus. Got a handful. How you going? Good to see you. Good to see you too. Cool. G'day. Hello. Hello. We brought you some wine too. Oh, did you? Yeah. It's, it's warm, so, so cold though. That's alright, I've got a cast in the car <laughs> in the fridge, but um, just like a seat. I had the four kids here last night, so I'm oh, did you? slightly chaotic. After we get settled, we sit down on Alison's couch. I noticed a colourful tattoo on her left arm. She goes on to describe it. Um, it has my daughter's name, Kira. It has her date of birth and her date of death as I see it. It has an orange butterfly because we released them at her funeral. It has four stars for her four children and it has my broken heart. Alison says that people and animals were drawn to Kira. Butterflies in particular, though. I, I can't even think of words to describe her. Um, she was out there. She gave the boys as good as she got. And she wasn't... She was afraid of nothing. Fearless fly. Were, were people drawn to her, do you think? Yes. Yes. She... You couldn't not notice her. Alison told us Kira was fierce, feisty, loyal, and didn't take any shit. She lived for her kids. She was like a protective mama bear. If she was there, you knew she was there. Yeah. You know, she was loud and she was opinionated and she was, but she was unique. <laughs> Definitely would cover it, yes. She was born at Gosford Hospital where I was doing my nursing training at the time, um, 1987. 13th of April and she was raised on the Central Coast and she met her husband on the Central Coast and they got married, they moved up to um, Lake Macquarie and then when the two eldest boys were quite small they moved up to Queensland. Remember what we said about Reggie? Yeah, he didn't shut up the whole interview. He also feel like he had something to say about Kira. They didn't move to Gympie first, they lived at Tewanton and no, first they lived with his parents which was at Rosemount, then they lived in a house at Tewanton, there might have been another house there somewhere but then when they were living at Tewanton she um, had found this property and she um, came home, she'd gone and looked at it, she came home and she said, oh mum it's perfect, it's got this and this and this and this. She'd absolutely fallen in love with this property, so 
they decided to buy at Walvi. What's the significance of the butterfly? Oh, there's lots of significances. Um, like I said, we released them at the funeral. Um, there was a time when we were on Dunk Island and she was sitting um, in the open air lounge area and a blue butterfly just flew in and landed on her hand and stayed there. Yeah. And um, the song Butterflies by Philip Brown, I had heard before she passed away and asked him permission if I could use it at her funeral. Suddenly the conversation takes a different path. Alison goes from describing what Kira was like in life to the night she died. We got a phone call from the next door neighbour and she said, Kira's just been taken away in an ambulance. They don't think she'll be coming back. So that was all I knew. Then I had to wait for her to get to Gympie Hospital. I rang Gympie Hospital um, and they really couldn't tell me too much. Um, And then next thing I find out, she's going to be flown to Gold Coast Hospital because they couldn't get her into other hospitals who had CAT scanners. They needed to do a a CAT scan on a brain and they didn't have one at Gympie. And... um, yeah, so she got to the Gold Coast Hospital at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's when I spoke to the doctor and he was very apologetic and said basically that's that's it. Did he say what happened to her or why? Well, I, I said to him what about the overdose and he said, who told you there was an overdose? And I said, well, that's what the Ambos were told and that's what the doctor at Gympie was told. No, there was no overdose. He said if she'd had an overdose, not only would there have been a massive amount in her blood, but there would have been other cardiac symptoms and he did explain them to me at the time, but I can't remember the exact things. He said there would have been this and there would have been this and this and this. There was no overdose. So... So what was your uh, understanding of her cause of death? Well, I didn't really know at that stage. I knew she had a bad head injury. Um, I didn't know how bad. Um, And I was saying to people, she's going to die. And they're going, no, she's not. Don't be silly. She'll be fine. I'm like, no, no, seriously. She's, She's going to die. She's brain dead. And, yeah, they just wouldn't. It's like, no, no, you're, you're being silly. Sorry to back it up. No, no, you're day, right, Don. The day before, when your, that was Kira saying... The night before, oh, yes. She was speaking to the children. Two of the heel- children have hearing impairments, so she always talks to them on loudspeakers, so I could hear her voice, I could hear everything in the background. Um, and she sounded very sad, but very sober. Um, and she was nearly in tears saying goodbye to the children. So we've come to a really crucial part of the story, one that we'll cover in later episodes, but all you need to know for now is that Kira was on the phone to her ex-husband and Alison was with him and the kids. He got off the phone and came out to me and basically repeated the whole conversation, said that she'd said to him you know we can get back together and just raise the kids we don't have to be husband and wife and then 
all of a sudden like someone had walked into the room she started swearing at him called him this that and the other thing and then hung up on him and that was the point at which the boys in the shed next door heard him in the garage starting to scream and yell and banging and crashing so they heard all that they didn't call the police because they said it happened every night Alison was talking about Kira's neighbours. You want the whole thing from the beginning at the hospital? Yeah. Just as best as you uh, can yeah. describe it. I know, it's, I know it's upsetting, but... No, that's okay. And but after that, you can have a refill, refill and go to the toilet or whatever. And uh, have a smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll need it. Okay, so um, the next-door neighbour who'd rung us, I was in no fit state to drive, so I couldn't get to the hospital and then she was sent to the Gold Coast. He said she was going down there. You were just too upset. Oh, yeah. Um, so she was going to give me a lift down there. So I got down there. Kira had actually already been declared legally dead and they were only keeping her alive for her organs at that stage. Um, when I arrived, the social worker from intensive care um, came and took me up to the intensive care unit and she said to me now there is some bruising um, didn't really prepare me but I walked into the room she was hooked up to all these machines first thing I did was went and ran my fingernail up the base of her foot as hard as I could to try and elicit a pain response. Nothing. Looked in her eyes, there was just big black holes. I was able to spend time just being with her and holding her. So they took her away to donate the liver and as she was about 20 feet from the room and there was no nurse in the room because um, there was no patient there and I was just waiting. The phone rang and um, it was him. Alison is referring to Kira's partner. We'll get to him later. Somehow come through without going through the nurse's station or the main switchboard or anything else direct to the room and said, hello, this is such and such, I'd like to know how Kira McLaughlin is. And I said, do you know who this is? He said, no. And I said, this is Alison, and you don't deserve to know fucking anything. It had been a heavy night. By this stage, we'd been talking to Alison for about three hours. I was completely fucked, Jamie was over it, and Alison looked like we'd dragged her through the ringer. We called it quits. One last thing Alison did was walk us back inside. She poured herself a glass of wine and put on the song that played at her daughter's funeral. It's in this moment that it really hits us. The devastation of it all, the loss, the heartbreak. It's a heavy, sad moment. The world has moved on, but Alison is still stuck here. She's still stuck in July 2014. She'll never move on. Been in Valley Road was a 610 media production. This episode was recorded, mixed and mastered by James Russell at Heliport Studios. Our cover art is by Joel Pultz. Our theme song, Peace of Heaven, was by Pete Allen. You can find him on iTunes. We'll be back next episode. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. Also, check out our socials. 
at Beanham Valley Road for Facebook and at Beanham Valley Road for Instagram. Thanks for listening, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.